For those of you who don't know what the term millinery means, it's the art of creating women's hats, and my guest this week is an iconic milliner recognized globally for her intuitive and colorful design style. Since beginning her career in fashion and design in Hong Kong over 25 years ago, she's produced countless editorials and runway shows and executed a wide range of costume and wardrobe styling for film, television, print, commercial, and live performances. While on this journey as a creative, she fell in love with the art of millinery and in 2004 began her brand J. Cow Millinery. Since then, she's created hundreds of bespoke pieces by mixing and matching her extensive collection of over 400 hat blocks, which she's got from all over the world. Her latest brand, Block Common, is her fresh and contemporary take on popular common hat blocks from throughout the 20th century. She stopped by the pod to talk about her upbringing in Hong Kong. My guest today is Jay Chang. She stopped by the pod to talk about her upbringing in Hong Kong, defying her parents to pursue her dreams, and how she serendipitously came to fall in love with millinery. Hey guys, Andrew here, and before I jump into this episode, I just wanted to take a quick second to thank my sponsors over at Bean Bundle, Canada's newest coffee subscription. Before I geared up for this interview, I used my French press using beans they sent me from one of the dopest roasters from across the country. Bean Bundle makes it so incredibly easy for people like me who drink tons of coffee every single day but love to try beans from different roasters. This process is pretty simple. You just visit beanbundle.com, choose how much coffee you want on a monthly basis, medium or dark roast, and they ship you different beans from the latest roasters on a monthly basis. Best part is that if you live in Canada, they ship to you absolutely free, and if you sign up using the code BUNDLE10, you'll save 10% on your subscription. Now go pour yourself a coffee and enjoy this week's episode. What's up, Jay? We're live. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, everyone. So much fun. I'm, I'm really excited about this. I've been on your website all morning and I like I, I am blown away by how talented you are uh, by, you know, your focus on craftsmanship. Just I, I, you know, listen, I've grown up as someone that like loved hats, loves hats. I'm wearing a hat now. You know, my my grandparents, my mom, my my everyone in my family would say, take off the hat. You're going to go bald. So I'm really pumped about this because like your hats are so different and inspiring and I can't wait to kind of talk all about them. Your story is interesting. You know, you spent a lot of time in Hong Kong before, you know, you're here in Toronto. We're both here in Toronto now, but you know, your fashion career really started in, in Hong Kong. What, what was it like? Uh, I'm assuming you were born there. Born and raised. Born and raised. And, 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 you know, what, what was, what was that like? Like, did you, did you know you're going to always be in the fashion space as a, as a kid? Like what, what was it about growing up in Hong Kong that you were like, yep, this is kind of the space I want to play in. Okay, a little background story on on how I grew up, and um, yeah, that might that might be uh, good as an intro to who I am. Yeah. Okay. So I am born and raised in Hong Kong, many moons ago, um, to a very traditional Chinese family. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm still the or <laughs> I think my mom is still questioning why, like why she has a dog like me so i mean with that you can probably like that most of my family um they see profession as like a profession quote and unquote like a doctor a lawyer an accountant something like that that you can sort of know what you're doing so when i was growing up i think i'm pretty much artistic in a way because i always draw i always um 
things with my hands. I'm, I'm very crafty. Mm-hmm. But I was like pretty much courage into pursuing anything serious with I like to do, what I play with when I was a kid. Because it's, it's basically not really um, the thing to do in my family. So when I was growing up, I, I learned how to sew from my grandma um, and how to knit from my other grandma. And they, they see the me, they see the maker in me. So I did have a little bit of encouragement, but nothing, no encouragement to pursue a career in something that's related to the arts. So that's how I grew up, um, how I grew up. And then um, uh, my family moved here in the 80s. So I went to a boarding school. I sort of like know that don't want to be the regular child mm-hmm. into the family. I've always been the rebel when I was growing up. I think the more they banned me or discouraged me, the more I wanted to do those things, you know, like a rebel, that's, that's the number one thing you would do. Like whatever your parents tell you not to do, yeah, you course. go and do everything <laughs> that would like turn their, like, I'm, make them angry or whatever um i was like that when i was growing up not knowing that that sort of put me on the path of of who i am and what i do now when i was in high school here at boarding school so obviously i wasn't like cut out for academic stuff and um it's it's tough at school so um the best best subject i did was art class and I thought, okay, you know, I'll go into art school. So I applied for York University for fine arts. Didn't get in the fair because my portfolio wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. My parents were so happy thinking that, okay, now she's not going into to fine arts. So I, I put together a much better portfolio and I got in the second year and actually they counted my portfolio and so I only did the four years of work and graduated in fine arts in printmaking and um, drawing so nothing very specific in in skill sets I think I worked in Toronto for for a year mm-hmm. and at that Toronto to me was like very slow and um, although my my mom and my siblings were here living in Toronto. My dad was still in Hong Kong. um, I packed my bags and went back to Hong Kong and stayed for a long time. And in Hong Kong at that time, I I looked for jobs to be in the uh, creative field. I worked for um, um, a publisher um, doing computer graphics layout or, and then I met my boyfriend, now husband. That really is the this is the changing point for my career and set me on the on a more solid path of of the creative the creativity road that I'm taking now. So him, I started as a studio manager. I started as a stylist at everything. So that got me into my first career as a stylist 
Okay, so your your boyfriend now husband he was what I'm guessing like a, a photog photographer. Photographer. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um, I started styling his shoots, um, whether it's a product shot or fashion shoot, and then I handled the production side of things, like um, putting together invoices, putting together quotes. So pretty much all rounded in terms of of what I do. I go look or the right cup and saucer for the product shoot. I, um, I cast those, I put together wardrobes according to the client's liking, to the mood ball stuff. So that background, really, those years really put me into a lot of different aspects of, of the styling profession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got you went from you said like, oh, I went to school, I didn't really have a skill set to like now all of a sudden having like a whole bunch of skill sets that you know take years to kind of hone in and and develop and perfect. But it's incredible. What like let's pause there for a second. Why, you know, I, I grew up in Toronto, so I know that Toronto is a very different city now than it was you know mm -hmm. in the 80s and 90s totally like yes. we've grown like crazy um especially our fashion industry and and the number of brands and designers here but like i don't know much about the hong kong uh like space in terms of fashion why did you why did you feel like that was the right move to go back and like did you have concerns about moving back you know maybe being around your father who wouldn't have been so supportive of of you pursuing a career in that space I think, personally, I'm closer to my dad than my mom. Um, so, I mean, another reason for me to move back, <laughs> I, I think I was 22, or 20, 21, 22. That was many moons ago. But anyway, I moved back because I don't really want to hang out at home here in Toronto. And also, at that time, coming from moving from Hong Kong to Toronto for the first time, I was still hanging out a lot with my own group, like my ethnic group, with a lot of overseas students from Hong Kong. So we were still like, sort of like the Hong Kong pace, um, the Hong Kong fashion, the Hong Kong lifestyle. So as, as, as a young 20 something comparing that because i go back every year to to um vacation in hong kong so comparing to i don't want to use the word slow but back then in a 20 something hong kong is way more exciting mm -hmm. than what in toronto toronto is very relaxed very laid back and 20 something that that me at that time, I have, it didn't cross my mind that I will stay in Toronto and be able to get a job of, of what I want, the pace and, and the, then the exciting lifestyle. So that's why I moved back. And um, I didn't really think about coming back for a long time until like we can talk about this later in our conversation mm -hmm. um so i i end up staying in hong kong for almost 20 20 something years yeah and then um started my career in fashion styling and that, that 
did that for about 10, 10 years okay, before so. I, um, I ventured into millinery. Yeah, so that, that was my, you took the words right out of my mouth. That was my next question. Like, where, where does millinery, and for anyone listening, and don't feel stupid about this, because I'm in the fashion industry, and I didn't even know what millinery was until like a week ago. Um, but millinery <laughs> is the, uh, the art of, of creating and selling hats, which Jay is amazing at. Um, so you're, you're in Hong Kong, you're, you're on all these sets, you're styling, you know, like we talked about. Um, mm-hmm. Where do you intersect now with, with hats? Like, what, how do hats come into your life? There are a few stages that I actually think I'm connected to hats. So um, when, I was, when I was studying university, in university here in Toronto, I worked in Kensington Market with with um, with the silversmith. So he used to have this tiny little. Sh- I would go in on on the weekend to work for him as a salesperson. Then I would go out for lunch. I walk around the neighborhood, and there's this shop that I always go in. Courage, my love. So they, it's a very interesting shop. They have a lot of different items, and I remember seeing my. I got attracted to all these vintage hats that was displayed in the store. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, my first encounter with hats. So hats, to me, um, will always be very vintage-y, like very dreamy, very poetic sort of item. And I think that's the first impression that I got my connection with hats. And then later on, with going shopping, I'm always drawn to hats. Especially when I was in Hong Kong, I used to travel to Japan like a couple of times a year. And then the Japanese are so into wearing hats. And they're so advanced in their casual hats. I mean, there are a lot of makers who who do cut and sew hats. They're brilliant. They're very um, different from your usual cap or the beanie or whatever. Mm. Um, So, I mean, I've always been buying hats like my life, collecting interesting hat shapes and stuff. Um, but for millinery, I think this word to me, I only know this word because I was Googling for a course to take in 2004. That was when I was experiencing a personal sort of like downside, um, not so happy with my career. I wasn't feeling it like doing styling, I was like kind of frustrated with myself seeing the question, is this what you really like doing is a big bottleneck for me at that time with my career and then also some personal issues. So um, I wanted to take a break. So I Googled at that time, internet wasn't that great. So I find very limited information and, um, I found a course in, in England, in London, um, with the London College of Fashion for um, styling, which I don't really want to, you know, <laughs> I actually want to find um, something else to do. So and there's another course called millinery. I couldn't even, I don't even know pronounce it right at that time. Yeah. And in the course description, it says, hey. So I'm like, okay, I like hats. The course description sounded romantic enough. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, okay, I'll give it a try. So I end up, that's my first encounter with millinery. So I just bought my tickets and then rode myself in the course. And that's the start of my new career path. Well, yeah, it's it's not really well planned. <laughs> no, well, it usually isn't though, right? Like everyone thinks that there's always a such a succinct, you know, defined journey. And you know, I always I always say that it it never really is linear. There's always you know you're gonna encounter different things in your life that pull you in different directions. And you know, I'm a really big believer in that. So I I love this. So you had never been to London prior to this. You you actually went to London to to study there, right? Yes. So I flew, I mean, I like from Hong Kong, um, there are a few popular places that people go, obviously, because we were a British colony before, um, a lot of the kids would be sent to school there, like boarding school, or might immigrate there. And um, also, it's, it's a popular sport uh, for um, traveling. For vacation, mm-hmm. I I went. Oh, I think it's my first time. Yes, that was my first time going to to London, going to England. Yes, and um, yep. So I printed out my maps. I printed out my places to stay, and um, yeah. So I just picked up enough stuff for going for a little while, and then I took the the short course that I could could get my hands on and then I went back the same year another time to do more courses and because I totally fell in love I fell in love the fr- on on my first class I have to share this it's it's like when I was smiling I lost the the fire I lost the passion I remembered uh, the the first car- class of millinery the, uh, the students were sent to the next room which is called like the block room where you they they house all the blocks that define the shape that you use to define the shapes of the of the hat that you're making. Mm-hmm. So I walked in there and it's from floor to ceiling packed with blocks of different shapes. So all I see are these wooden forms with like fancy curves, intricate shapes, and I said to myself, Oh my God, I can die in here. Mm-hmm. I'm so in love just like seeing the wood because I love everything vintage. So that is the feeling that I can still remember today. How I walked in that, to that room and, and felt like that. And I took my shape to start. And then from then on, I think I'm much hooked to millinery. Well, I'm I'm glad you stuck with it because I absolutely love you know the work you do. Uh, you know, I'm I'm really interested in the ma the ma hat. I think I might have to get one for myself. So I'm I'm glad to hear that, and I think it's been your calling and your passion because you're obviously really good at it. You mentioned like block or or I guess it, you know I guess blocking is the process of cre- like creating a hat or it's the form used to create the hat, right? Okay, so millinery. This word is I was in Hong Kong. I think this is not a very common word for people to actually know what it means. So you might call somebody a hat designer if you know the word millinery. So millinery, let me let me just go into a little bit of, of um, 
detail here because I also teach. So when I have my class, I, I tell my students the difference between this and that, like how you call yourself or what you do, different tools. So millinery is basically about a person who makes, who design, makes, and sell women's hats. So Arthur is a person who makes men's hat. So that's the two differences there. And in millinery, we have different approach to making, to creating. So blocking is one of the techniques that you use to create straw hats or felt hats. Mm-hmm. And then the blocks are what defines the shape of the hat that you're making. Yes, and their blocks are mostly made out of wood. So you, if you Google like wood blocks or millinery wood blocks, then you see all these different shapes. And if you're working as a production, then you use blocks, but because you're sort of like pumping out more hats efficient, so you might have like aluminum blocks in your production. So, I mean, we can talk another hour of all these details. <laughs> hey, we might. So, you know, as a bag designer, you come up with a design for a bag, you have a drawing, you get a pattern made. It's usually a paper cutout or like a paperboard cutout. That gets mm-hmm. your, you know, your production. That's how you make the product. But like wood blocks are completely different. So like when you come up with a new design, do you have to have an entirely different woodblock created for that design and like what, what's that process like what's your design process like okay so i also like a collector i would say i'm a collector of vintage blocks okay. because they are a part of history so um i started collecting blocks after my first class millinery i started looking for them and these blocks the blocks that i have go back to the 19 early um 1900s so things from the 20s from the from the 30s 40s 50s all the way to modern blocks like that are created with with the new block makers here so i mean with the blocks depending on what you use some milliners might be just taking to the old blocks and then because most of the old blocks are beautiful shapes and you can create different styles with them and if i have to create a special design for collaboration or i have something that i dreamed up a special um i need to to produce my season then i would definitely get one of the the block makers that i work with them a drawing or or do a little sculptural clay piece myself um, and then send it over and then they blow it up into the right head size for me and carve it for me so there are different approaches to blocking you might most of the milliners they have a collection of blocks they use for their shapes some might be um, uh, producing a lot of theatrical pieces so they might have the period pieces of that they can always go back to when they work on different periods. And um, some millers might might be doing um, a lot of cloche. So they will be will have a few cloches designed 
um, or beret design that they um, they use for the collection. For me, I I love collecting from different periods because, as I said, I fell in love with blocks first. So I have a very soft spot for them. Mm-hmm. When I see them, I go nuts. Like all the money that I make, I spend it on on buying these <laughs> these pieces. Yeah, but I work with both. I um, yeah. Back to your question. I work with both. I work with uh, vintage blocks, and I work with um, newer blocks. I mean, now now I'm thinking. Now I'm picturing you like going out and hunting for blocks. So like, if where do you where do you find vintage blocks? And like on your last count, like how many blocks do you think you have in your collection right now? I was just packing in my in my studio to the um, morning because I'll be moving. And to a new studio closer to home in November. I actually, that's a very good question because I forgot to count um, when I'm putting the blocks in in the boxes. Um, from last, I I documented my blocks. That was last year. I think it was like close to four hundred. Wow. Four hundred shapes, different sizes from different eras. Um, and then I think for the past year, I have <laughs> gotten myself more. So it's it's a huge collection. I mean, I, I have them? to. Do you go to vintage stores or like, how do you find blocks? Back then, when I first started, it was just eBay. And then whenever I go travel, I go to antique markets to look for them. and. Remember, some some sellers would put the block for bid, so I would I would be setting my alarm clock um, at, at, to wake up at three in the morning to bid for my my block, and then it's it's crazy it's crazy it's it's like something that I would do every week you know, and now it's much easier because of the internet, mm-hmm. so get it from different platform you can get it on social media groups you can get it from milliner group that um you know some milliners might be um selling some of the blog you know no, no longer use some people might be retiring some people might you know scaling down a bit so you can get different materials or different machines just from all these different social media and of course um i've built a relationship with people that buy from so sometimes they would contact contact me first to show me what they have and then um, offer the first tip so I'm very lucky to to be considered a crazy buyer <laughs> to them hey everyone's got their own thing people collect all sorts of different stuff and I think it's really uh, I think it's really cool that you know your I don't want to call it an addiction but you know your 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 side hobby really relates to you know what you love to do day to day so I you know I think I think it's great um, it's a whole new world for me I didn't know you know I don't know the block collecting was you know it sounds like buying sneakers where you know people get oh, upset, yes. you know yes I mean if, if people want to see my collection they can hop onto my social media. I just posted me packing the blocks, and very right, I it's a block addiction. I have to admit, I am so deep into my addiction. 
Oh, it's no. not funny. No, well, it's, that's that's great. I, like I said, I think it's perfect that it fits into, you know, what you do. Um, and this mm -hmm. makes a whole lot of sense to me now because as I was perusing your website, I noticed that have a, a collection called i believe your collection is called block common mm -hmm. okay so now that ma now that makes a little yes. bit more sense to me tell me about that like what's what's your you know what's going on with block common in terms of the types of designs that you know people can see and find okay block common is actually a brand that i've set up since since moving back to toronto because in hong kong what i was doing in millinery in hong kong for the hong kong market it's mainly showstop pieces for concerts, for for performers, for bride, for like the horse racing scene mm -hmm. in Hong Kong. So they're very elaborate, your everyday hat. Like you might go to an event and look like super stand out in the crowd. People will come to you and ask for a photograph with you or even an auto maybe. But um, coming to Toronto, it's a very different market here. So when I first established again here in Toronto, I, I was not seeing that market that I was selling to here for me. So I was a bit sort of like not knowing what direction I, I should take here. Should I push the um the fancy pieces here or should i you know start thinking of of doing something else that's more suitable for fashion market here to get my name out so and also at that time i i met my manager kyle kofsky mm -hmm. and we sort of looked into my background what i was doing before and and looked at what toronto fashion scene is or what the uh, potential buyers are for my work and obviously it's not for the fancy stuff so we sort of made a plan that we're going to take it step by step eventually i i will go back to my fancy stuff we will start putting more on the fancy pieces on the event pieces we, we we sort of looked at everything, and then um, with all the, cre the 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 number of blocks that I have, and Kyle said, you know, why don't you make good use of your collection and see if if we can put together something that is more for the Toronto crowd, and that's when Block Common is born. So the block is the out my blocks and the common is is defines my style now like the ma hat there's right. no trimming no mm -hmm. fancy like feather there's no beads there's no ribbon it's just the shape with the right color it might be a bright color it might be a dark color it's all about the shape right so that takes us to finding the style block common what is common because I I want to I want a style that would fit everyone. I don't want the trimmings. Like some some people might not like the fancy distressed hats because they think that I don't like that style. Or they, they might not like the feather. They might not like the button. So block come in is born. Come in is my family. Come in is is 
will read the simplicity of a hat. You're just getting the shape, getting the color that speaks to you. And I'm building my block home and family from what I put out there. People who read this and say, that's the hat I want because I can wear it with this. I can wear it with that. I can go to the grocery and look good in that hat, or I can go to an event if I put a, a coat on, if I dress up a bit. So block common is it's non-gender. So male, female, color, ethnic groups, whatever, people can all see themselves in this block common family. So it does it, it you're not stopped by not seeing the right trimming. You're not intimidated by by that feather. You're not intimidated by by you know something. It's it's a very easy to wear collection. Yeah, I love I love that like for example, like the Mahat is, you know, it's it's so simple yet so unique and identifiable you know what i mean mm -hmm. like you know it, it it looks like a beanie but it's not a beanie and and like it it yeah there, there's not much to it but it, it is the type of piece where you can walk into a room wearing you know jean and a t-shirt you can wear mm -hmm. you know you can almost wear like kind of deconstructed suit jacket with it and like still look really good yes. um, you know and but it still stands out and and that's i think why i'm really drawn to it because it's you know it's very versatile for me I'm, i like to buy things that are very versatile things that i can use all the time and i think uh mm -hmm. i think you know you've done a really really great job of creating something uh unique that stands out but is also complementary across like someone's entire wardrobe across both genders which is yes. which is really really cool i'm i'm curious I think we 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 might have skipped this, uh, just you know, getting into the whole discussion of craftsmanship and how things are made. But when did you actually end up coming back to Toronto? That was um, okay. I'm in my fifth year now. Okay. In Toronto, so I came back 2016. Okay. 2016 with my family, with with my two boys. I have two boys, 12 and um, nine. And then at that time, um, there are a few reasons why we uh, decided to move back. I'm very thankful, although I'm the black sheep of the family, but I'm still very thankful to my parents for making that move in the, in the 80s so that I have a citizenship that I am so, so grateful that I can make that choice of moving back here for a better life, um, both for my boys and for now with all the news uh, about hong kong for a better political like it's my priority as a mother to give my my sons the um a childhood that i wanted for them mm -hmm. so there's no second chance of of your childhood that's what you get right so for us um for our profession thought okay you know let's let's start over again and um but for the boys you can't you can't do a second childhood for them so we're so happy that we're yeah absolutely and and you know t obviously toronto is 
you know, one of my favorite places in the world. It's it's home. Uh, and and you, I think you came back at like such a great time. You know, obviously to raise a family, Toronto is a great place to, to raise a family. But even professionally for you and your husband, um, you kind of came back at a time where there's almost like, um, you know, like a fashion renaissance or like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, happening here where um, designers are really emerging and you're seeing uh, really great brands and, and products and all that kind of stuff happened right here in the city. So, you know, I feel like some, like I said, you know, we talked about it earlier, the journey's not linear and sometimes things just match up and happen the way they're supposed to happen. And um, it sounds like it has for you. So that's great. When I, when I um, came back, I, I didn't know that I will be so happy, like you said, because I'm seeing things that are so different from Hong Kong. What makes me happy is there are a lot more respect for local designers here than than in Hong Kong because Hong Kong is more like brand-based retail. Here, I think um, the majority of people, especially now, are, are more like buying local and especially with slow fashion movement coming on really strong i think as as a local designer or maker we're being recognized and we're being supported in in a lot of ways i think one thing that i find the first thing that i realized that okay i may i like it is is because of of this from what i see like the 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 good support for for the makers and the designers here yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one thing I've really come to understand over the last six, seven months is how much that's accelerated. And, and you know, um, obviously COVID has been really difficult for a lot of business and almost all businesses. But um, one thing that I've noticed, you know, with my brand and my company, and I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if you've noticed the same thing is how uh, much more willing people are to support locally now, um, you know, people are just looking for products that are either made in Canada, made in North America, you know, they're made with quality. And um, yeah, you're right. That that slow fashion movement, although it seems slow, um, you know, I think it is creeping into culture and creeping into people's value systems and people are, you know, not necessarily going to shop at malls as much as they may be used to. Um, so mm-hmm. that I, I, I think Toronto is really great for that and and uh you know even the country as a whole uh w- with creating that kind of awareness so you've been here for you know five years you said you know let's talk a little bit more practical about your business how mm-hmm. you know you come here fresh start you know probably have to network a lot meet a lot of new people um really get acquainted with the industry again how did you you know start growing or your business or kind of uh, launching your new kind of hat business when you got when you moved back here. Well, when I first moved back here, I started to look for every opportunity that I can meet somebody, that I can um, tell people what I do. And I was, I think, at that time, I was in a panic mode. I was <laughs> because I like even before I packed up my old studio. I, working I was still on different projects I um, I was still looking up to the very last minute so 
coming here and then looking back, I was like, okay, like, am I going to be established again here? Like, what's it going to be like? So I was, for the first year, I think I was in a panic mode. I wasn't used to, like, the slow down, the, the, the searching for the right clients, the, the networking, the, the telling people what I do, all this. It's, it's like reliving, like, when I first started 14 years ago. Like it was, it was kind of like depressing for a little while. And then I said to myself, okay, you've moved, you've made that move. There's no looking back, yeah. look forward. Mm-hmm. And, and, and with that positive note, things started to open up. I believe in the universe. I believe if you keep falling back onto the negativity of things, the universe will know you'll be trapped. So somehow make that leap of faith yourself and the universe will look at that and go okay right, I'll, I'll give you another push so that's when after a year or so I started, um, um, the network that I made the first year here actually trend, like become opportunity to work um, to collaborate with with different designers or I, I had a little space in the Toronto designer market. It's like they closed it. Um, but from there I met other people um, from pictures that people take, took off my hat and shared on social media. I got linked. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's just slow, a slow build of the right networking um, that leads to something more the second year I I got into showing with another designer I sponsored hats for his collection um, at Tom's so I did talks twice yeah so I showed with the same designer for two seasons and then that lead to other things and then um, that's even how I met my um, manager because Kyle was looking at a post that was shared by the owner of the Toronto design market. Both of us wearing my crazy hats and did that post. And he started looking at my profile and then invited me to do an event with him. And that's how we got lit up. So I think um, that was like the first three that um, of, of going out, um, talking to the right people, sharing my story, um, not being too pushy. <laughs> and then um, when I met Carl and having a manager really helped me develop my Toronto market because obviously um, he knows more about the business side of things and the people, the right people to connect with. And then uh, developing the Block Common brand, uh, yeah, I think I think the past year I've been slowly on on my directions on and on the speed of of the growing of of the brand. Yeah, I know people are listening to this are going to be listening to this and and not seeing like our faces, but like you can see there's a smile on my face because everything that you just said like really resonates. 
uh, with me and and I like it, it all makes perfect sense you know uh, you're so many things you said there are like bang on like it's a slow build uh, it's one thing that I've you know I was talking to my my business partners about this recently and my wife actually and it's like I don't know in the last few months I've decided I've made I've made the decision to be more positive so instead of thinking oh I'm not going to get this opportunity versus I am going to get this opportunity things just start to happen and I don't really know how to explain it but it's exactly like you said if you just keep putting positive thoughts out uh, you eventually you know you're attract that energies uh you know you're attracting that that kind of energy so like i i really mm -hmm. believe in that and i think you know well what people should really take away from what you just said is that you know you need to be humbly aggressive but like you know keep building and keep networking and you never know what like you know everyone's always afraid to post on social media oh what are people going to think what are people going to say do I sound stupid? Do I, you know, like whatever. And, you know, that fear can hold you back because it, you know, from what you said, just a couple of posts here and there have, you know, led to different, you know, intersections in your, on your journey that um, are now putting you in a place to, to do even better. So I, uh, yeah, like as you were speaking, my eyes were just like, you know, my face was just lighting up because I'm like, yeah, that's, that's how it works. You know, I, I think, Coming back to Toronto, this relocation, to me, it's a game changer. I pivot so many different moments personally and also in terms of design approach mm -hmm. to my brand. I, I would like this because when I was based in Hong Kong, all designers were black. I, when I create a piece for myself, I'll create something very color. Um, I always wear black, like you see, I'm wearing black. But coming to Toronto, I think it opened up the color doors, um, different color, because I'm so inspired by just watching people on the street, how they dress, how all the, especially inspired by a lot of old people, women who, who are so daring in putting different colors on themselves, like it would look pretty much like a Christmas tree, but it's still very, very inspiring to me because it, it shouts out red, it shouts out green, shouts out yellow. So that's also a pivot point of me to use more color in a block common collection, like building it with a different awe, with a different approach. Mm -hmm. And then um, also with social media, I think with the COVID, you know, hitting us hard, we can't, like, I cannot do a pop-up. I cannot do a physical pop-up where I can meet my clients. Mm -hmm. And social media is the only online platform that I can reach out to tell people what I'm doing, who I am, what am I up to, and it's a sharing platform. So, and it's also like um, when people Google, you have to put in the right tags and it helps on the business side when people Google you, right? You know, the, the tags or whatever. So with this, I think I'm, I have pivoted to focusing more on how I do my social media. I was never like that when I was in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Like I, over the years, I've established enough that I don't 
really look into different platforms to promote myself. Um, but coming here, it was a challenge before. It was pretty scary. Like it was, it was hard at times. But now I'm seeing it, and also with COVID, I think it's it's something. The lining of this is, look, you know, there are other ways to reach out. There, you should put more color because people need it now, or um, you know, do do more like the podcast thing, so that you know different ways to reach out and. Mm-hmm. And I've also done online classes with other milliners um, to skills. I've even done the social media um, online class to up my skills for for doing, you know, a better uh, presentation and stuff like that. So I think the whole thing, if we want to look at it as designer, I think now is a good time to sort of slow down or refine your collection or refine your skills and instead of jumping here and there doing different things you might want to to really look at what you should focus maybe i did cut back on my on my styles i i cut back on how much different styles i want to produce mm-hmm. because of covid so i'm just focusing on a few bread and butter that's that's a new collection sort of Sure. style yeah. and then maybe maybe some fancy pieces that when i feel one day i just like to block this shape in that color that's a one-off yeah so that's my pivot over the years of coming back and also especially for COVID for my brand you know i think COVID has, has done that to a lot of different people it's taught companies to be a little bit more lean but also think outside the box a little bit and and get creative and collaborate, right? And that's one thing that, you know, you've done a couple times already really well. Um, you know, one in particular with Callan Shaw, who's an artist, and he did a really cool painting on one of your Ma hats. Um, and, you know, you recently just did a, a collab with the designers escaping me, but she's Canadian and she's uh, in New York. Is Chris, is it Chris? No, she's, a, uh, she's based in Toronto and... Um... Her brand, I'm not really good at remembering names. She is, uh, her name is Jordan, and uh, RVN, G, or she's actually based in, uh, based in Canada, and uh, she showed at um, New York Fashion Week. Um, well, everything went virtual, so um, it's shot in Toronto, and then it's edited in um, in New York, the New York Fashion Week team did it and shown online. So um, that's the collab. That's the most recent collaboration. Um, so you did that one with her, and then you did the one uh, with Callan where he painted um, one of your hats. And I think you know, for uh, people looking to collaborate, there's always um, there's always like some angst or some some hesitation because you know at the surface collaborations sound fantastic, right? It's like, hey, we do two different things in the same space uh, with the same audience. So like, let's just build together. But then, you know, the economics of things come into play. And, you know, it's like, who pays for what? And, you know, how do we split money? So, you know, you don't have to specifically talk about either of those instances. But like, Mm -hmm. you know, for people looking to do a collaboration, what would you say is the best way to go about 
kind of uh, building something, you know, building an arrangement that's fair for, you know, two parties that are, are working together. I, I have that same thought, like what, what you just said, when people ask me to collaborate, I'm like, okay, how are we going to do it? So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm talking from my experience over the years, like um, collaborations in Hong Kong and the few that I, I, I am blessed to have here. So um, at first, when I first started, because I'm so to get my brand out, to be able to show on a catwalk, to show that some some pop singer wearing my my hats, you know. So I I did a lot of things for free. That that took me a few weeks to do. That took me um, to spend on my material. Um, so I think when when you ask to collaborate. Um, over the years, I, I weigh it like, um, okay, what am I getting out of this collaboration? Am I getting an exchange? Am I getting a long-term relationship with, with uh, the people who want to collaborate with me? Are they like a, a famous pop singer, a, 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 a theater, or like a, a fashion brand? What am I getting from them? So everybody makes their own decision because say for a fashion brand, if I need to support the whole catwalk, so if it's a 30 piece catwalk, then they might need a 10 piece piece or hats. That's a lot. That's a lot on materials. That's a lot on my time to sponsor. So with, with a project like that, I would, go for, um, although I'm getting a lot of exposure, like my name up in the, my logo will be up. It might be talked about in interviews or might not because mm -hmm. it, the interview is not me, right? It's, it's always the designer, the production. So weighing all that, I, now I would say at least there might be some money support because it's it's not easy to make that money buy so much material and also with the production because i'm a one woman production meaning i might have to work hours i might have to stop what i'm doing and focus on on making those show pieces so at least i need i need some compensation time or I need um, it's actually a respect for for whoever you're collaborating with I think the bottom line I want to get some respect mm -hmm. because if you see that you really you really love my pieces to be shown with your designs meaning I am you see me as as somebody that you you love to work with so out of respect um, there should be some compensation other than just putting my logo on the screen or uh, having a couple of write-ups. Um, so I, I would say I would look into having some money um, to at least cover the material 
or you can work another way is is if they if it's a, a brand they have um, their own shops you might want to do something like um, if you make that pieces if it's wearable pieces you might be able to sell as a collaboration piece so it's like um, block common crossover another brand or millinery crossover another brand and it's sold at their shops so you the the two parties would work out a percentage um from the sales right right so that might be another way to approach it but i'm doing this because i have a lot of experience in, in collaboration like in hong kong and everything so sometimes i would still do things for free because I might be helping somebody who's up and coming. Mm-hmm. Like I, I see their potential or I want to support. So I'm not saying everything comes with a price tag. Right. I might, you know, people supported me when I was at the start of my journey. So some collaboration, I might put this into consideration too. It's like, oh, if a couple of hats can make that show become icing on the cake for a couple of outfits, sure, I can do that as a support mm-hmm. for another fellow designer. So it's, it's different people, different brand, different maker will have different like, final decision on, on how they want to collaborate. But for me, it's, it differs. It differs. I'm not saying... I would do everything for free or I'm not saying, oh, I need money for everything. But I think at the bottom line, it's the respect for the collaboration, for somebody you, you invite to do special pieces for your show or for your um, performance or something. Yeah, because we all need that. We all need that moral support. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... You know, it is it is definitely very situational, right? I think I'm st- I'm still very much a young brand, very very much like you. There are going to be opportunities that you know pop up where you're you're like, okay, I'll do that for free, just because you know you're you're trading maybe exposure for that. But yeah, I I do agree with you. I think sometimes you got it's got to be case by case. But also, I think a good piece of advice for like new entrepreneurs is to you know not necessarily be money hungry, but don't be afraid to put a price behind uh, the value of your work and, and your products. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're all at the end of the day, we're all here to be in business. And, you know, you need to have some self worth and some self respect. And, and, and you can't always say yes to everything at the same time. Yes. I, I wanted to add a little note to the collaboration approach, because we are brands um, that make handmade our items, mm-hmm. uh, like my hats, uh, uh, or um, a bag maker who who will make each bag or jewelry maker. But if you're a brand that you're the designer and you outsource production, and you might already have a sample, a sample collection that you can send out as a sponsor. Like if people come in and ask for like a collaboration, because those saying it's not work, but 
you outsource it and might be make in a, a small production line, a factory or something, then it might be easier for you to just sponsor those items for the fashion show, for the runway or a shoot or something or an advertising, right? But for us, I we are the makers and we do each piece individually like for that particular collaboration. So I think when you look at that, as you said, like even if you just started out, I mean, put, do put a price because what you make or, or maybe one off and everything. And it's, it's different from an effectura. Yeah, totally. I, I, I totally agree with you. So, you know, in just taking the collaboration step, you know, discussion one step further, is there anyone off the top of your head that, you know, you um, have met recently that, you know, you really vibe with and love what they're doing that you'd love to work with? There's actually not a particular person because I, I love to work with everyone. I like to channel people. I like to channel people. Like I like to channel their brand. I like to channel them and make a special piece. Um, but I would love to work with more art-based association, like um, maybe um, people who who are textile makers, who are wool makers. Um, that's more on, the, on an art-based collaboration. That's what I really want to do, or work with um, a cultural group. I can I can make special pieces for a special um, uh, uh, festive sort of thing. I mean, like, back of my head, I have so many ideas that I want into um, real life. I want to create them. And then the more the merrier. Like, I'm not limiting myself to one name. Sure. I'm opening up everyone. There you go. Anyone that hears this, Jay is ready for business. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, great. This has been so much fun. Like your story is so inspiring. And, you know, I think as a creative and a maker, like you, it's just, you have all the tools of all the, the I, you know, everything you've said has just been so powerful, I think, in making people understand that like the journey is not easy. Um, just, but love what you do and stick to your craft and build one step at a time. And, you know, everything will work out uh, if, if, you're, you. if you're positive. So before I let you go, what can we expect from you and Block Common and J.Cal Millinery uh, coming up in, you know, let's say 2021? 2021. It's going to be a big year. I am moving new studio. So um, it's, it's big um, because it's going to house my husband, uh, photography studio and my studio. And um, I'm making a few wall for my blocks. So they will not be shelf behind each other, hopefully. Um, they will be featured as, as uh, pieces up on that wall. And then it'll be a much bigger space um, so I can reach uh, more. Um, hopefully, we don't have to social distance that much by then. But if we do need to, it's huge. I can set up um, a station for each student. And then, uh, because teaching um, is a big part of, of my um, my passion too. So I would like to get that going. And uh, yeah, new studio and then block coming 
still going to be like um, vibrant color, unique shapes um, for the common family. Really cool, really cool. Well, I look forward to seeing the new studio. So when that opens and, uh, you know, hopefully you get to have a launch party, I'd love to come and check it out. And uh, I just want to thank you again for, for your thoughts and, and your stories. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely sure that whoever is listening to this episode is going to take a lot of value and be very, very inspired. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Jay.